Bullshit. Maria Marhefka asked some pointed questions for episode 350. It's the No BS Marketing Show. I'm Dave Mastovich, CEO and founder of Mass Solutions, the world's only no bullshit marketing firm. When we hit milestone episodes, we like to try to do something creative. You've probably noticed in the last 10, 20 episodes that Maria is more and more involved with putting me on the spot, which I really like. I, I enjoy interviewing and listening to guests a lot. I like that more than being interviewed, but it's also fun to be interviewed too. Yeah, so we wanted to, for the 350th episode, kind of get to know you on a more personal level. Of course, you know, the loyal No BS listeners, they know you on a professional level. So you as a leader, um, a business owner, et cetera, et cetera. But this one, we kind of wanted to to get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Yeah, so we'll start back with the origin story, I guess you could say, and kind of just figure out what did you want to do when you were younger? Was there anything that stuck out to you? I come from a family that um, four of us, my parents and my brother Mike, and very close, everything in life was family-oriented, and a lot of it was sports-oriented because of our energy levels, particularly mine. My brother was probably a little more normal. I was... Uh, really off the charts energy. So we were constantly playing baseball, football, basketball. So early on, like most kids, you have a dream of of uh, playing in the NFL or the Major League Baseball or the NBA. Now, I'm from uh, Generation X. I'm one of the older parts of Generation X. And that group and older, baseball was still big because there was no internet. There was limited cable and limited choices. There wasn't as much structured activity. So now I look back and say, how did someone with all my energy watch paint dry or play baseball, one and the same? (laughs) So uh, that one was probably more like I can remember as a little kid just loving the Pirates of the 70s and so forth. And uh, and then basketball became a liking. So those things ended up helping me to go a lot of places through sports. I came from a economically, uh, you know, middle lower middle class Mm -hmm. uh, economic situation and an area that was depressed economically so sports are what got me to be able to go to seven countries uh, through basketball and to play at a high level and and coach so that was always a part of it but what was interesting was throughout my life leadership and storytelling were a big part but I just didn't know fundamentally that that was what I was going to do. And what do I mean by that? Like I was constantly the storyteller. My parents have these pictures of me. There's a bus stop when we were like, I was maybe like seven mm-hmm. and I, and there was this big little big square for some reason. One of the squares was painted and everybody would stand in line on this square. And there's this picture of me standing there with my hands flailing <laughs> and I'm the youngest one holding court and all the other people there. <laughs> so I was always the one telling stories and mm-hmm. getting in trouble at school for being uh, kind of a, a com, you know, comical and so forth. But I also was always leading without even knowing it. I was never like the structured leader. It's just that I was constantly the one getting the group together to play sports. I was on the field or on the court, the one actually giving instruction. And I think I had some really cool coaches who realized that and leveraged that with me. So the leadership was always there and the storytelling was all there. And I was blessed that my brother is an extremely talented storyteller. And he's also a great compliment to me as an older brother. He was calm. I'm I'm not calm. He was patient. I'm not patient. Um, He was passive. I was aggressive. So that helped him. His Mm -hmm. younger brother often would 
get up in someone's face when they would be giving my brother shit who was so calm he would just listen uh, so I think we were just a great combination right. and he and I and Mike Minot who lived below us uh, started writing and producing comic books when we were probably I was I'm like two years younger than Mike Minow and three three or I mean my brother and we would do these comic books and then I'd go around the neighborhood and sell them so we were actually making money and I look back and say that was great for a little kid to make 20 cents but I would rather have the comic books now you know and so what was great was I was already being like a creative director in a Mm -hmm. bad way I would like tell them what I couldn't draw I could write and I could map out with like stickman what I wanted the scenes to be Mm -hmm. but I couldn't draw Minnow was an amazing drawer my brother was pretty good so I would scream at them as like a young seven eight-year-old going that's not what I want a (laughs) nuclear man to look like and they would just both go like, well, dude, you know, they were tense. So they couldn't articulate that. Aren't you being a bit irrational, <laughs> yeah. expecting me to be able to write what's in your mind? So the storytelling aspect was always a part of the upbringing. Mm-hmm. So that's that's when I knew, uh, you know, that was a part of me. And each as I got older, I, I just never was. I look at what happens today, mm-hmm. and we get better as a world. And I look at what my sons had and what your daughter will have and so forth is that there's so much more. I wasn't, I had no instruction and no support outside of my parents to tell me that I was good at that. Mm-hmm. Had a teacher or a leader or a coach called me aside and said, dude, you can write. You right. can write. I, I didn't know that I could write. I just wrote. Oh, I okay. told stories. And, and so here I was as a teenager and didn't know that this was something that I should have been doing already. I was good at it. So when I was in college, I just started going out and writing for sports, newspapers, TV, radio. And I just think we're just in such a better place that if you have talent now, most kids in the world, uh, in the United States, most kids will have someone that pushes them along to leverage Mm -hmm. that talent. And I had my parents who were amazing. I'll get choked up talking about them. They were amazing. Like my mom would, the way she taught us and trained us with like creative ways to get us to think was awesome but they didn't know that like hey well talk to this guy at the newspaper and see if you can do this when you're 15 and talk to that person i didn't have any of that so a lot of this writing and messaging and taglines and stuff it actually came later than it should have Mm -hmm. because i just didn't know that i was really good at that and that's not being boastful like i just i'm good at that you know and i was never never coached by a vice president of a company when I was 13 or 15 or 17 or or someone at a newspaper, someone at a TV station. So what I did was I loved music and I started, I went and I found a way through side jobs and illegal activity to purchase some equipment when I was a teenager and I purchased equipment to become a DJ and then I just went to a bunch of radio stations and I would just walk into the radio station and hand them a cassette of me talking and they would just look at me like, are you from another planet? <laughs> You're 16 years old and you're coming. But I eventually landed a job in radio, which enabled me to tell the story like we are now. Mm -hmm. And I did that through my whole life. But that still wasn't what I was really good at, which is the actual writing and the taglines and everything. And you don't like that's intimidating. Like a lot of people just don't like to write or they Mm -hmm. don't think they can. So it took a long time to figure out that writing was important. When do you think it clicked? Well, on the business writing, mm-hmm. like I tell my sons all the time, like I've, I've trained my sons this way. When you watch a show, when you watch a movie, 
like I was, uh, years ago, we'd sit down and watch something. And so I'm a dad, so I would watch something with my teenage sons like Entourage. And I would say, this is good writing because the way they wrote that was that. Now, mm-hmm. that show isn't a masterpiece. It's a guy show. There are women shows. There are guy shows, mm-hmm. ladies shows. Uh, but if you watch a show or a movie, like I, I, I pulled out um, Injustice for All and just watched that with Carter over the weekend. And I'm mm-hmm. sure it was so Snell's pace for him because the movie was made before my time. Even that movie's like in 1973 or whatever. But it's just a tremendous movie with Al Pacino. And I walked through and I said, do you see why they shot that that way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if some like I was knowing that and Mike Minot um, really knew that stuff instinctively. He's way, way better at it naturally than me. So we would like when we were teenagers, we would actually talk about that. We'd say, imagine if we were doing a music video for MTV, we'd show this part of the steel mill that's torn down now. Mm-hmm. You know? So I, I, I just look at things differently that way. So you were asking when did I officially click? The business writing clicked earlier because the first jobs that I took were on the air on radio, but I got to understand radio. So when I graduated college and I was finished with my basketball stuff and everything, I was a really young guy, and the radio stations that I were working at were going bankrupt. And they were ranked 13th and 14th out of 14 stations, and no one would take the general manager job. So I just came in to talk to the – they were taken over by the credit union that gave them a loan. So if you've seen anything about radio, there was the original WKRP when I was a kid and the reboot when – maybe when you were a kid, but maybe even – earlier than that then there was news radio and any of these radio shows that are now archaic because radio is no longer a thing really showed how radio is so if you watch Howard Stern or if you watch you know Rogan or Dan Patrick or anybody that's how radio is what mm-hmm. we're doing now is how radio was well a credit union took over our radio station because we defaulted on the loan so we have these two radio stations one's a 50,000 watt FM which basically means that can cover about 50 mile radius it's, it was absurd how far you could pick up this station 50 is probably too long too big but like say 15 20 square mile radius mm-hmm. I come walking in one weekend from college and there's three flags in the front of the door you open up the door you used to open up the door and you'd see a picture of the Rolling Stones or mm-hmm. something you open up the door and there's these three flags and one was the United Federal Credit Union flag and one was the flag of the United States. Another one was the flag of the National Institution of Financial Nonsense. You know, so yeah, they wanted to run the stations that way. So I come in and say, well, who's going to run the place? And they said, we can't get anyone to run it. We, we posted ads. I said, I'll run it. So here I was this young punk. And, I, and they were like, well, we can't pay much. I said, that's fine. Pay me this. And then I get a percentage of once we turn it around. So that when you say when did the writing start i had to write memos and it's actually memos you would type on a typewriter a memo okay so i'm like maybe 21 years old and i'm typing on a typewriter and, I, and then you'd go have a, either a carbon copy thing that you made yourself or you went and made it on a copy machine and then you'd hand this out to people and people would have to read this memo so those were pristine because people would post them on the doors and stuff okay so you had to write a masterpiece in a memo okay pressure's on so then I had to like do a lot of writing of promotions of how we were going to get listeners. Then I had to do a lot of writing of promotions of how we were going to sell. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that I could do this business writing. But it wasn't until much later that I started doing the writing of actual co- commercials and to- taglines and slogans. But what I did do was I wrote a lot of the bits for the morning show. There were like three of us that worked together on the bits, and the main person was Yvonne. She was the one who ran the show, and she drove everything. But Mm -hmm. she would say to me, let's go brainstorm about 
this show we're going to make within the show, mm-hmm. and we'd write the bits. So I had all that experience, but it wasn't until probably 10 years later after I'd gone to grad school and everything that I started saying, well, wait a minute, I can actually do these taglines. Because what would happen is I would hire an ad agency and I would tell them what I wanted and it would like, it would suck. And it would cost my company all this money and I would just go and change it. Yeah. And then I didn't want to get in trouble for saying like I picked a lousy agency so I would just write the stuff myself. (laughs) (laughs) And they go, oh, that agency's good. And I go, oh, not really. They're really great. (laughs) So so that's when it started. That was a very long answer, but that's when that started. And then... You know, so that kind of sparked the beginning of your career in writing, mm-hmm. like actually taking it serious. Yes. So I'm sure that anyone, there's probably some challenges that you faced early mm-hmm. on, whether it was at the the um, radio station or, you know, jobs after yes. that. But, you know, what were some of the ones that really stuck out to you and how did you kind of overcome them? Well, I referenced the movie and Justice for All with El Pacino. And in that movie, he's struggling with what attorneys and public defenders go through and what happens is some people are just very passionate and they sometimes take they personalize things you know michael jordan is my biggest you know from my era my biggest hero if you will Mm -hmm. although as a person he wasn't the greatest person still alive i don't want to talk like like he's gone but um he would make everything personal he'd find a reason to say that someone spited him. Well, there are people like that, and that's what that movie's about, and Justice for All, and that's how I am. And there's good and bad to that, because mm-hmm. we all have good in us and, and bad in us. And I'm extremely passionate, and I do take things personal because of empathy. I am, I, I believe I'm high on the empathy scale. I believe uh, that I can relate to other people's pain, and then I stand up for it. So. That is tough on you. That will cause you a lot of problems when you're not mentally mature. Not that I was this immature fool. It's just you grow as a person Mm -hmm. from 25 to 35, from 35 to 50, from 50 to 70, whatever. You grow as a person. Even someone that's barely growing as a person still grows. Right. And so early in my career, what I ran into was the passion and not understanding the games that go on and how talent and productivity aren't the top two things in life. Whether it's in sports, whether it's in academics, whether it's in the workplace, talent and productivity aren't, sadly, aren't the top two priorities. Um, There are other ones that come ahead of it, being liked, uh, getting along, um, playing the game. Those all rank ahead of talent and productivity. So now I've parlayed that and said, okay, I'm going to have my own company. I'm going to do it a certain way, and I'm going to make less money, but I'm going to have a better quality of life because talent and productivity will matter. So at Mass Solutions, talent and productivity matter. Mm-hmm. But most companies that I deal with, it it doesn't, and that can offend them, and that can make them get angry. But the reality is, unintentionally, talent and productivity aren't winning out at most companies. There are politics, there are seniority, there are, do you like the person, there are, there are superficial things, how mm-hmm. a person looks helps them um, immensely, and so that's what I battled, and okay. what, how did that manifest itself? I was the person that drove people crazy because I have incredible energy, I have incredible desire to change for the positive, I don't, you know... If someone says, we do it this way, I say, why? 
And uh, one of my favorite quotes is from the eulogy for Robert Kennedy when Ted Kennedy says that famous quote that I'm escaping me now under the guise of a microphone, but he says, some people see a problem and ask why, um, others see the solution and ask why not. I'm paraphrasing Edward Kennedy in the eulogy for Robert Kennedy, but that's how I believe things can be, and that's mm-hmm. how I tend to view things. I, I first ask why, and I, for, <laughs> for all my career when I was in the corporate world, it was always, that's just how we do it. That's just how we do it. Or if I was at UPMC, they'd say, that's what they do at Highmark. And if you were at Highmark, they'd say, that's what they do at UPMC. Okay, but why? Mm-hmm. I don't really have a good reason why. Okay, then why not do this? So that causes a lot of strife. People okay. don't like that. No. Now, most people listening will think it's not them. But I'm sorry to offend the listeners. Odds are it is you, that you actually want status quo and that will piss off our listeners, but it's just the reality. Most of us, including me, you instinctively fight change. I have to fight my my mind that's telling me to keep doing things the same way. I have to fight it every day. Mm-hmm. But I also see things that can happen, and I try to push for that. And that is not that is not liked by most humans, no. even though they would not admit it. Everyone will say they want change, and they're up for it, and they want to see... Mm, not when you tell them they have to change. Oh, yeah, that's usually when the <laughs> the gears turn. Yes. So what's your biggest pet peeve? That kind of segues nicely into it. So my biggest pet peeve is when people want to have it both ways. They want to have it both ways. So let's just take a couple examples. I don't like how I am, I am physically, from a physical fit standpoint, but I'm not going to change what I eat and I'm not going to change how I work out. That's wanting to have it both ways. Um, I don't like the way it is at the company. I don't think my boss treats me fairly, but I'm not going to go and build a specific 100-day plan and go over it with the boss and let that boss veto it or accept it. And I'm not updating my resume and going out and actually talking to people and networking and reaching out and trying to get a better position. I don't like when someone complains and then doesn't offer a solution. I'm not perfect. My solutions isn't perfect. You don't like something? Tell me what it is. Mm-hmm. Tell me what it is and how it benefits everybody else by doing it differently, not just you. I want to work from home and I want to make more money. Fine. <laughs> I, want to, I want to have a million dollars tomorrow come in a paper bag so no one can tax me on it. That's not going to happen. So that only benefits me. Tell me what benefits the company and our clients that will also benefit you and how do we get there. But don't just bitch. That's my pet peeve. You can't have it both ways. I agree. So what's your favorite movie oh. and why? She's saying, let's we're, get off this really No, we're doing, we're, we're going like, we're uh, ping-ponging here, bouncing. Well, you heard me talk about El Pacino. <laughs> I do like El Pacino. Um, I, like, I love Leo as well. Um, but from a movie standpoint, there are so many great ones. But the one that I will watch parts of it every time it's on, uh, when I scan and zap, is Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Why is that? Do you just like the story? Do you like the actors? Well, let's take the professional side. Okay. It is so amazingly well written and shot in a way that keeps you enthralled for a very long time. I think it clocks in at two and a half hours almost. 
So that's professionally, it's well done. But then on a personal side, forget the, the storytelling is my life and my career. Just the, the, the lessons that it teaches you and how it's showing you how Andy perseveres and how this friendship grows and how there's a love there and how even though they're institutionalized, there's still some basic core values. Now, look, prison isn't like that. I'm not naive. <laughs> I'm not naive. Prison is much worse than that. But I think they took and turned it into a pretty cool story. And there are some flaws in it, you know, whenever you're figuring out how to get through that hole and what if it didn't rain that night and what if there wasn't lightning. But um, as a whole, I, I, I can just watch that movie every time. It is a good movie. I agree with you on that one. There's like 10 or 15 that I could say tomorrow. Like if I forgot we did this and yeah. you told me, I'd say, oh, the Godfather for this reason or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, today, for today, that one Shawshank sticks would up. be the one. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, again, we're ping-ponging here. What qualities do you admire most about your parents? What did they kind of instill it instill in you? Well, my parents did that was amazing was they taught Mike and I um, about people and what was amazing about my house was we didn't know that Ursino Ursinos were Italian and uh, that Goldfarb was Jewish and that um, the Watkins who lived next to us were different because they were black that that was never even remotely thought of. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up like agnostic <laughs> when it comes to the prejudices that people have towards race and towards nationality and towards anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I just grew up like my dad is just amazing. He, I, I get my intensity from my mom. My dad is able to let everything like roll off his back. And that's what I think my brother's more like that. My mom's big into fairness, so like they just taught us, you know, that fairness aspect and treating people. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. No, it's real. Parents are great. We could switch to another yeah, question. Sure. So, yeah. if you could give your sons one piece of advice, what would it be and why? Well, from my dad to them, I would say to think like that, treating people fairly and equally. And um, then from my mom, it would be set goals and uh, and like work hard towards them. Because my mom, she would have to-do lists every day. So like my brother and I, <laughs> we'd be making to-do lists when we were like 13 years old. People would be like, what's up with that? <laughs> but then from me... What I would say to them is self-awareness is everything. Know your passion, know your triggers, and know what drives you, and then be humble about it so that mm -hmm. you're able to say, I'm weak at this, you know, strong at that. Mm -hmm. And how do you wish to be remembered? <laughs> I'm hitting you hard here, Dave. <laughs> this is not I'm a good sweating. idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sweating. Uh, hmm. Well, as a dad first, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's most important to me. As a leader and coach, second, and leader of people 
in anything, whether it's an organization or company or community organization, but a coach, um, those players I've coached over the past 20 years, 25 years, it's important to me that they, you know, were influenced. Mm -hmm. And then, um, then as a marketer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a storyteller. Yes. Well, I think I hit you hard enough here at the end, Dave. So is there, I mean, I think we're in, you're 350 in. Yes. Let's hope for 350 plus more episodes. Get to 700. We'll keep, we'll keep trucking I along. I won't cry here. on 700. <laughs> Maybe, uh, yeah, hopefully at 700 uh, we'll still be here talking about it. So sure. I think this was really good for the listeners just to kind of get to know you on a, on yeah. a personal level um, and get to know you beyond the, the great marketer that you are. Thank you. And person, of course. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks you, thank you to our loyal No BSers for listening to another episode of the No BS Marketing Show recorded here in our own studios in bold, beautiful downtown Pittsburgh. Remember, ask yourself, what's the big idea? And build your story around the answer. It's all about bold solutions, no BS.